Hello, hello, and welcome team to episode four of our society podcast. I am buzzing to be doing these and hopefully this one might be going out to the big bad world and not just you guys. So I'm hoping it's insightful, maybe a little bit entertaining and gives you some clarity around some topics. Um, I've called this episode 10 Things I Hate About You. It's a bit of a love letter to the fitness industry but it's not actually the fitness industry. It's more the kind of misinformation that still sits in and around the fitness industry. Um, And the thing to remember with these things is that they do come from a shred of truth. Most kind of fiction or most concepts in the fitness industry have come from something that is either misconstrued, misunderstood, or the science has just changed around it. So it's really important to, to not get down on yourself and think, oh my God, I'm so stupid. I used to believe that because everything I'm going to talk about, I believed or wasn't sure about, wasn't educated about. And that's totally okay. That's why hopefully you're listening to this, you work with me um, or you work with somebody else that helps you decipher through all of this bullshit that is out there. Before I jump into uh, these 10 topics I'm going to speak about, I'm just going to apologise because I am pretty sure you may be able to hear the rain in the background noise of this podcast because it is December 2020, longest year ever, and it's absolutely pissing it down as it is in probably most places in the UK. So apologies if it's distracting. Hopefully it's not. Hopefully my gob and my voice is loud enough for you to drown it out. So I'm going to dive straight in and I'm going to go in with number one, my most treasured loves to hate concept, which is the fact that people think carbohydrates are the reason they are gaining fat or the reason why they can't gain fat. Now, many times I see people go on a weight loss or fat loss journey and they think the first thing they need to do is cut carbohydrates. So I'm going to explain the ideas and notions around this, why this is a common belief, because this used to be quite an accepted belief that we needed to go low or no carbohydrate to lose body fat. So let's look at what happens when we eat carbohydrates. So when we eat carbohydrates, they are broken down in the body into glucose. Then once we have a rise in glucose in the blood and the body senses this, it releases a hormone called insulin. Now insulin is a storage hormone and when we have a rise in insulin, it temporarily switches off fat oxidization. So fat burning is temporarily switched off and we are preferentially either putting this glucose into the muscle cells or we are storing it in the fat cells, okay? So it's quite a logical thing to think that if we have a carbohydrate um, rich diet and we are having these high levels or releasing of insulin all the time, then we are going to be storing quite a bit of fat as we are constantly turning off fat burning but it's not really that simple. So some things to know is that when we actually look at the research and we look at diets and the energy or the calories are matched and the protein is matched, there is no difference in fat loss or fat gain between low carb and high carb diets when energy and protein are matched. So that's a really important thing to keep in mind. Another thing to know is that carbohydrates are not the only thing that have an insulin response. So protein also causes insulin to be uh, released. So if this is the case that when we have insulin being released, um, that we are going to be storing more fat, then a high protein diet would also cause this 
phenomenon of weight gain or stopping us from losing fat. So two really important things to keep in mind. And also a third one is that even without insulin, the body is still able to store um, fat and to add to our fat cells. Um, it will use other hormones in place of insulin. So the body is super clever. It has ways and means of doing this. Um, another thing that we look at is when we have these overfeeding of carbohydrates, um, we have this idea of a process where the body will convert carbohydrates into fat. Now, this does happen in um, quite severe overfeeding of carbohydrates. It has to be quite a lot of carbohydrates, but the body uses a process called de novo lipogenesis to change carbohydrate and then store it as fat. However, this is a really inefficient and quite a costly process for the body. So it doesn't happen very easily. It's not something that the body just goes, oh, there's a little bit extra carbohydrates. We're now going to change it and store it as fat. That's not how it works. So to put this really simply, at the end of the day, it all comes down to your energy in and your energy out. If you prefer a higher carb diet and you want to lose fat, you can have high carbs within your calorie deficit which we know is needed for fat loss um if you prefer low carb then cool if that's going to help you stick to your energy deficit then that's amazing um go for it uh, so in a healthy individual you don't need to worry about slashing your carbs you want to look at your overall energy intake and how you can manipulate that over the days weeks months to put you in that energy that calorie deficit to then lose fat so let's just bury that one because carbs are freaking amazing if you don't like carbs, I feel bad for your son. I've got 99 problems. Cutting carbs ain't one. So to round off this first point, which is a lot longer than I thought it would be, um, the insulin response is a very, very normal response, okay? And it happens all the time in healthy individuals. You eat, whether it's protein, carbohydrates. Insulin goes up postprandially, which means after your food, and then it comes back down to baseline, ready for the process to start again. You need to remember that the body is in a constant state of storing and breaking down stored energy so it can be used. The only way that we are going to have excess body fat is when we have an excess of energy and the body is then needing to store it. So please keep that in mind. I hope this has been clear. Obviously, any questions after this, you can ask. But I'm now going to move into point two. It carries on quite nicely from this first topic. So carbs, if you eat them at night, they are stored as fat. Now, hopefully, we've logic some of this out previously. However, I just need to ask you, do you even know what day it is? Like, we're in the middle of a panty D. We've been in and out of lockdown. Some of us are working from home. Some of us are not. I actually thought it was Thursday today. It's actually Friday. How the hell is my body going to know what friggin' time it is? How is my body going to differentiate between 5.59pm, 6.01pm, boom, that's it. All the carbs that we eat now are stored as fat. So using the logic that we already know, because carb is an energy source, and if we are not active at night, people tend to think, well, if I'm not active, I'm not using that energy. But bear in mind that fat is also an energy source, but nobody cuts fat on an evening either. And the body doesn't just use energy for activity. So even if you're sitting on your sofa for four hours of a night, your body still needs energy to keep your vital functions and processes going. Remember, metabolism is not just when you eat. Metabolism is all of the processes in your body that keep you within homeostasis, which is where we want to be. So 
No, carbs at night don't get stored as fat. And actually, they might help you sleep. Um, I like to eat carbs at night because it does give me this postprandial slump, that tiredness that you sometimes get in the afternoon. And it helps me fall into a deeper sleep. So please do not be afraid to eat your carbs at night. We know that it comes down to your energy throughout the day, week and month. Super quick point, that one. So now we're going to move on to point three. Point three is around breakfast and this idea that breakfast kickstarts our metabolism. Now, we talked about metabolism previously in the last podcast. So we know that metabolism is not a little hamster that sits on a wheel waiting to be kickstarted, waiting to get running in his wheel with a little bit of breakfast. It is constantly... Um, happening. So our body is constantly metabolizing things throughout the day, throughout the night, not just whenever we are eating. Um, So I think the reason why I want to bring this up is because a lot of people tend to think that skipping breakfast is bad. It's somehow going to slow their metabolism or that they need to be eating to keep these processes going. Now, we know that's not the case, but the reason why I want to bring it up is because sometimes people make themselves feel guilty for not eating breakfast. Now, let me just break down the word breakfast. Breakfast is breaking the fast. When we go to sleep, we are essentially, hopefully, sleeping for seven to eight uh, hours a night. Depends who you are, what you're doing. Um, If you're me, you're a bit of a vampire. But we are fasting in that period. We've got no energy coming in, no food coming in. So that first meal that we eat after this prolonged sleep and fast and waking up is then breaking the fast. Nobody put a rule on what frigging time you have to break your fast. It doesn't have to be 6am. It doesn't have to be 7am. It can be 11am. It can be 12pm. It can be whatever time you feel hungry. Please bear that in mind that you know your body and some people aren't hungry in the morning. Some people are. Some people are ravenous. It's very individual and it's totally up to you. Now, if you are somebody that exercises early in the morning and you find that you are really faint when you don't eat, then maybe, yes, you will want to eat breakfast. If you are somebody that is prioritising performance and muscle gain, then, yes, you probably are going to want to eat more regularly, especially getting some protein in. Um, But, again, it's not something that you have to do and it's not going to hinder or impact your metabolism in any way. Again, it all comes down to this magical term, energy balance. So, Hopefully you guys that are listening to this, that maybe already knew this, will stop kind of going, I must eat breakfast. Okay, you must, but not must eat breakfast, more of when is the right time for you to break your fast. I hope that makes sense. Um, And that moves us into point four, which is we must eat little and often. Again, kind of feeding into this metabolism thing that eating little and often keeps our metabolism going. Um, Now... It does refer to something else within metabolism. So within metabolism, we have got things that make up the energy that we use. Uh, You've got your BMR, which is your basal metabolic rate. That makes up the most of what your energy is used for. And this comes down to things like your height, your age, your weight. Then we've got NEAT, which is non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So the energy that we use for walking, talking, shopping, anything that's not exercise. Then we have... TEF, so the thermic effect of food. So the premise is that because food costs energy to be digested, if you are eating little and often, you are then getting extra thermic effect of food. So you're getting more TEF. If you eat six meals a day, 
versus three meals a day, you get a little bit more of that thermic effect of food. However, if you look at three meals and the energy and the, the calories matched with six meals throughout the day, you're still getting the same amount of the thermic effect, okay? So logic it out again, use this kind of knowledge that we've got. Um, there's not going to be that big of an increase. And if you are eating more meals and larger meals, not only are you getting more TEF, you're also getting more calories, which then throws us out of energy balance anyway. So eating little and often, if that works for you, great. If it doesn't, also great. As long as you are within energy balance, let's have like a pound for every time I say energy balance today, shall we? Um, so hopefully that's dip that one out of your mind for now. Eating little and often, not necessary. Totally up to you. Okay, next up, mambo number five. I'm really sorry, I just had to say that. Uh, point number five, muscle weighs more than fat. Now, can you remember that saying? What weighs more, a ton of bricks or a ton of feathers? Or is it a ton of iron? Or is it bricks? Oh, God knows. Anyway, just like think about that sentence. What weighs more, a ton of this or a ton of that? Like it's the same, they're both a ton. So a kilogram of muscle weighs the same as a kilogram of fat. However, they are different sizes. Muscle is way more dense. So what you could have um, as three kilograms of muscle would probably be less kilograms of fat. Therefore, people with higher body fat percentages can sometimes weigh a little bit less or the same than somebody who has a lower body fat percentage but has more muscle. Um, for instance, I look smaller than I did when I had more body fat but I weigh more. That's why there's another reason to not get hung up on the bloody number on the scales. Um, make sure you're using other measurements of progress, not just the scales. But it is also super important to remember that you don't gain muscle overnight. It is a really hard process. So if you are trying to kid yourself a little bit with, oh, I'm probably just gaining muscle in this five days that I've been training and eating well, um, that's why my scale's not going down. That's not it, all right? We're talking like over a long period of time, like months and months and months. Um, sorry to like dishearten you with that little fact there too. However, yes, muscle does not technically weigh more than fat. Um, so then we move on to number six, which is muscle burns more calories than fat. Or the more muscle you have, the more calories you can eat or burn. Um, so this is an interesting one because <clears throat> muscle is what we call more metabolically active than fat. Um, it uses more energy at rest. But this is massively overplayed. So I've heard people say, oh, for every pound of muscle you gain, you can burn up to 50 calories a day. So, you know, an extra 10 pounds of muscle is going to allow you to burn up to 500 more calories a day at rest. It's just not true. So actually, it's more like seven to nine calories per pound of muscle, which doesn't mean then you should go, well, what's the point in gaining muscle? Because there's other reasons for gaining muscle and other health benefits to building and having muscle tissue. But burning calories should not be one. If you gain 10 pounds of muscle, which can be done in maybe your first year or so of training, you're only really going to be able to have like 70 to 90 extra calories a day, which is the equivalent of a piece of toast. So yeah, a little bit of a myth there, not technically as beneficial as some may tout it to be. So that is your numero six. Number seven, I'm not quite sure if we've spoken about this before. If we haven't, cool. If we have, it doesn't hurt to talk about it again. So 
there's been some discussion lately that we must, we must do cardio to lose weight. We absolutely have to. Now, this is just not the case. Here it comes, that word, or those two words, energy balance. Losing fat, gaining fat comes down to energy balance, okay? We can affect that with our activity. And yes, cardio will play into creating a bigger deficit, but we can do that through just walking more, moving more, daily movement, reducing our food intake, going to the gym. Those are all going to play into that energy balance as well. Where this comes from is the fact that we tend to utilize different fuels at different intensities of exercise. So your cardio and your lower steady state cardio, walking on a treadmill, um, on the Stairmaster, all that shit that bodybuilders do, that uses more fat than it does carbohydrate, okay? But it's not body fat, it's dietary fat. The fat that's in your diet, it directly uses that. Um, you're still going to need to be in an energy deficit over the day. And if that cardio does that for you, then great. But it's a very freaking boring and mind-numbing way of creating a deficit. When you could just get out more, you could just eat less. It's not that simple, but it is simple. So, do what you enjoy. If you like doing cardio, you're a freak. I don't know who you are. No, I'm joking. Um, it's not essential. Please do not think it's essential. In an ideal world, you would do a little bit of cardio for health, not for fat loss. And you would also do resistance training. But please get it out of your head that you must compensate for food or you must do cardio to lose fat because that is really not the case. Cool. I think that was point seven. Kind of lost it. Let's go point eight. So point eight is... And you might not have even heard of this myth, but it's one that I just want to point out. Um, people tend to have this, this fear around eating a high-protein diet because it could potentially cause damage to your kidneys. Um, now, this, again, comes from a little shred of truth that people that already have underlying health issues with renal function and with their kidneys, they will be prescribed a lower or a low-protein diet to help with that. But in healthy individuals, that's just not the case. There's been studies time and time again looking at high-protein diets. I think one of them even went to something ridiculous like 4.4 grams per kilogram, which is over double what I prescribe to you guys and um, suggest that you guys try and hit. And there was still no damage, no negative impacts to their kidneys or anything like that. So please don't be afraid. There are loads of benefits to protein. You know, protein is the building blocks of the body. It also helps with satiety. So yeah, get your pro in, get them gains. Don't be afraid. Now, was that point eight? I think it was. Cool. So two left. We are smashing it. Now, this was asked to me last night by a client. And so I thought, great, I'll put it on the podcast because it does tend to come up time and time again. And I'm going to kind of talk about some things through researching this as well. So people always, always, always talk about energy drinks. They're so bad for your health. You shouldn't drink those. You know, the things in them are bad. Now, let's like actually look at what's in an energy drink. Most of them are caffeine and then artificial sweeteners. So when people are saying about how bad they are, for me, they're referring more to artificial sweeteners than they are the caffeine. Obviously, too much caffeine is not good. And there have been cases where people have had extremely high doses of caffeine and it's been fatal um, and extremely bad for health. So obviously, if you are living off caffeine all day, every day, there is going to be health implications. It's going to impact a lot of things, especially sleep. So Taking care of your caffeine intake is important, but I highly doubt that there's anybody listening to this that is taking so much caffeine, it's de detrimental to their health. 
So then let's look at artificial sweeteners. Now, people love to hate these. Um, and if I'm being really honest, the jury is out at the moment in the research. There is no research to say, yes, it's really bad, or yes, it's really good. Um, for me, until there's research that comes out and says, this is harming your gut uh, microbiota, or this is harmful for your health in this way, or this is causing cancerous cells to multiply, whatever it may be, I'm going to keep drinking my Monster every day, all right? It's my hit of caffeine. I like it. I enjoy it. And artificial sweeteners, for me, don't cause me any kind of stomach upset. Um, and for some people, it does. It's important to know that artificial sweeteners, the ones that kind of tend to end in all xorbitol, xylitol, all them stuff, and they can have a laxative effect. They can cause some IBSD-like symptoms. So if that's you and you're eating kind of food or sweets or chewing gum or these energy drinks a lot and you're finding that you have got this IBSD, that could be the trigger. It might not be. Um, but yeah, currently there is no evidence to suggest that. Now, a lot of what people come to you with and these myths, a lot of these myths like artificial sweeteners, when they say, yeah, there was a study that showed this, all right, a lot of these studies are what we call observational studies, all right? Now, observational studies are exactly that. They observe a group of people and they look at people, let's say, people who develop cancer or people who are overweight and they go backwards in their life to look at their behaviours, okay? So they will take this group of people and go, okay, right, what does your diet look like? What does your activity look like? Oh, you know, I have a lot of uh, energy drinks every day. Okay, cool. So we observe that people that are overweight tend to have a lot of energy drinks in their diet, right? That is just a correlation, right? It's just a link between the two. It doesn't cause causation. It doesn't mean if you have energy drinks, you will end up overweight. And a great way to think about observational studies is basketball players, right? Lots and lots of basketball players are super tall. Most of them, you know, six foot, nearly seven. They tend to wear xxl basketball shirts right that doesn't mean if you go and buy and put on an xxl basketball shirt that you are going to turn into a basketball player okay that is not causation it is just correlation so that's a really good way that to to use some critical thinking if you're reading a magazine article or a newspaper article or something online it says study show just go and have a delve into that study and i can almost guarantee you that it will be an observational study so-and-so looked at these people and found that they did this. Okay, they found that that was a behaviour. It doesn't show causation. So just one to think about when you are reading into research. And I think I'm going to do a whole other podcast on this. But I just thought that would be quite a, an interesting point to make. So that is point number nine. So we've got one left. Okay, this last one is probably the most important. And I'm definitely not just putting this in here because I ran out of things to think about or say. I may have changed my mind halfway through this podcast at the last point. So here you go. Lightning. Does it strike the same place twice or not? Now, people say no, lightning never strikes, strikes the same place twice and that if you get lightning strikes come down, you should go and stand where it's just struck because it would be the safest place. Well, this is absolute horseshit, my friends. It does strike the same place twice. In fact, numerous times or within the, the same vicinity. So if you find yourself in the middle of a lightning storm, please do not go and try and find where the lightning has struck. You will not be safe. And that, my friends, is the most randomest way to wrap up a podcast. I hope you've enjoyed that. I hope it's given you some useful insight. If there's any questions off the back of it, you know what to do. And I will catch you all for episode five. See you soon.